people take good care of us around here. <laughs> well, this um, this week we have Jill Vanderley with us. Um, for those of you that have been around the last few weeks, you may know that we've been doing testimonies, getting to hear the stories from people in our own congregation about the ways that God is at work in our lives. And we are delighted to welcome Jill back. Uh, Jill is a familiar face to many of us, and for those of you that don't know, she served as our Courtright Young Adults intern for the previous two years. Um, and as a student at the University of Guelph, and Jill, it's really fun to have you back. <laughs> so Jill's going to share a little bit. We're going to um, a little bit of conversation about this last year and how God has been at work in your life. So I understand you spent New Year's this past year with 16,000 other people in a giant football stadium in St. Louis. <laughs> so that's not where you expected a year ago to spend your New Year's. So walk us back a year and tell us how you got there. A year ago, what was going on for you? Yeah, so a year ago, I was uh, graduating, looking towards graduation, um, with no idea what I was going to do with my life. I wanted to run away to Australia or Germany or somewhere really fun like that and uh, go and do my own thing, um, pursue my passions. Um, But God surprised me, as he always does. Um, I was called to go to a retreat with InterVarsity from the University of Guelph. Um, a group that I had not been part of at all before, um, but I had felt led to this retreat uh, for some reason or another um, and spoke with Victoria McCoy, who like, uh, convinced me to go after this and um, see what God was, God was calling me to. And I remember chatting with you at that time. You even said, I feel like God's going to say something about my future. And you had some ideas about what that might be, but the retreat was different than what you expected. So, Yeah, I found myself, um, after about a couple hours of being there, um, in a conversation for about 10 minutes with a woman named Ruth, uh, who offered me a job at InterVarsity for the next year. <laughs> yes, not what you were expecting, indeed. Not at all. And, yeah, say a little bit more about why that was why you listened to this woman with a job offer after she just met you. <laughs> um, so God, God uh, kind of took me from that retreat and uh, continued talking to me about this. And um, when we had first encountered each other, I had told her about my passion for high school students. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she had said, I work with high school students. Why don't you come and do that with us in Toronto? Um, but I wanted to go to Australia. I didn't want to go to Toronto. Toronto wasn't exciting. It was only an hour away. Um, wasn't what I was thinking I wanted to do with my life. It wasn't, um, yeah, it wasn't what I thought God wanted to, me to do with my life. Um, but he kept coming back to this and kept saying, no, there's something for you here. Um, and so eventually, after a long time, I listened, um, after seeing the passion that the high school students had in Toronto. And that was um, a March break mission in particular that kind of helped solidify that call. So tell us a little bit about what that is and and what happened at that time for you. Uh, So March break mission is a week-long mission trip for high school students and all across the country, um, but specifically around Toronto area, to come and meet together, sleep in a church, and uh, work with organizations around Toronto um, and be the hands and feet of Jesus and learn how to be a follower of Jesus as they pursue their passions and discern their calling for their life. Um, And I was completely inspired by these high school students that were going out and living their faith in ways that I hadn't seen mature Christians do um, or people who are older and, you know, in my life. Um, And I was so amazed and inspired by their their running after God. um, And I wanted to follow their example. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I met you, you are talking about your love and passion for high school students. So that's clearly this thread that God has been weaving in. Mm-hmm. So there's this retreat. You felt like God spoke that and then getting to see and meet some of the students at the March Break Mission. So there's this kind of coming together of a call, but there are some challenges. Mm-hmm. So remember at that time, there were some struggles with your roommates. You were still trying to figure out, God, what do I do with this desire to travel? And then there was the idea of working for InterVarsity means fundraising. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about those challenges and how God met you in those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, university was not at all what I thought. It wasn't. It wasn't in Australia. It wasn't in Germany. It was just in Toronto. Um, so it didn't fulfill my my desires and my passions in my life. But when I agreed to work with university, God showed up in different ways, um, allowing me to go to England and uh, St. Louis this past Christmas. Um, and and you would never been on a plane before. Never been on a plane before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he gave me the community of Courtright, um, as a lot of people came around me and provided me places to sleep um, away from the house that I was currently living in and uh, really poured into me about advice for discerning my future and um, for going after God's call. 
Um, and so fundraising was definitely by far my biggest obstacle. I didn't think I was the kind of person who could do that, who could fundraise. Um, but Ruth Ann Smith uh, was part of our community Bible study last year, and she, before I had decided even to join staff, she offered to financially support me as I went forward. Mm-hmm. I remember that evening of community Bible study, getting to debrief with the leaders, and you came in going, I think I do, I'm going to do this, because <laughs> Ruth Ann just offered to support me, and I hadn't even decided yet. And it just felt like such a sign of God's provision before you were even fully there yet, that he was saying, I've got this. I'm going to be with you and take care of you, and that. mm-hmm. that's a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. All right, so the challenges, all these kind of things, but you made it to Toronto. You made it to Toronto this fall. Tell us a little bit about that, what it's um, been like. Yeah, so in August, I was given a week to move to Toronto and live with the vice president of InterVarsity for a month. <laughs> Nothing like being thrown right into the deep end. <laughs> um, I ended up in a conversation with InterVarsity's president about hamburgers and barbecue and um, all things like that and met a million people connected with InterVarsity, um, which was God reaffirming again and again where I was supposed to be. Um, and then I, about a month in, we had the chance to move into um, a condo with a bunch of other interns that are working for University High School Ministry this year. And the landlord for this condo, he actually, we were able to afford it because he gave us a discount on the rent, um, because he had history with University at Western, and he um, he believed in what we were doing, and he supported our ministry, and so he actually donated to University. So this amazing provision of a place to live, it's close to your supervisor who works with the high school ministry, it's close to the high schools that you're part of, mm-hmm. and tell us a little bit more about the high schools that you're connected to. Um, so I'm working with Richview Collegiate Institute in Toronto this year. Um, I'm working alongside one of my staff members as I kind of learn the ropes of high school ministry. Um, and first week walking in, I met a girl named Isabel, and Isabel told me that her dad's a roofer, and my dad's a roofer. Um, she told me that her sister has a disability. My sister has a disability. And she told me that her other sister goes to the University of Guelph, and I went to the University of Guelph. Um, and so all of these surface-level things that we connected on made us go deep really, really quickly, and she built such a trust with me that I was able to pour into her for these last four months. And I've seen her go from this shy girl um, to this very confident leader who's bringing non-Christian students into our group. Mm-hmm. And you shared about some other students that are being bold in their faith and being willing to tell others in their high school that they're part of a Christian group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, so we had small groups uh, that ran last year that um, there was a, a variety of students from the school who invited their non-Christian students to study the Bible with them on Fridays. Um, and it was really, really powerful to see the impact of the school. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. Okay, so all this takes us to this Christmas, New Year's. You got to go to Urbana, which is University's um, triennial missions conference. 16,000 students from North America, around the world gathered. And all the staff that are part of um, InterVarsity have a role. It takes a lot of people to kind of maneuver and facilitate that kind of group of people getting around the city. And so your job was to be a walking guide and um, help usher people about where to go. Tell us about... Uh, your thoughts about that before you got to go? Um, so I kind of wanted to pull a Jonah before Urbana. Uh, I thought that being a walking guide wasn't a good use of my skills and my talents. Um, but God, of course, proved me wrong. Um, and on a street corner on Washington and Broadway in St. Louis, uh, I had the opportunity to pray for a whole bunch of people, um, and specifically one girl named Sarah who had hadn't really had anyone listen to her for a long time. Um, and I was able to hear her story and pray over her um, and have been able to connect with her since Urbana. That's really fun. I love that mm-hmm. picture of God using the things that we don't expect and just where we are to surprise and delight us uh, with what he can do. So part of the fun of this story is that it's far from over. We're just getting this sort of glimpse right in the middle. And um, it's really fun to hear where he's brought you in this last year, but we know that there's so much more ahead. So can you share a little bit about your hopes or ways that we can be praying for you, thinking about you, something you're excited about in this new year? Um, So the thing that God's been kind of talking to me through recently has been the passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about there's a time and a season for everything under heaven. Um, And the parts that are kind of standing out to me have been planting and uprooting and building. Um, And so going into this year, I'm trying to discern where God wants me to place each of those pieces. Um, So who he wants me to build into, where I need need to plant and where I need to uproot. Um, So prayers for discernment and going forward with the high school ministry. Um, And our team, as we look forward to next year to see what our 
um, what the what the team looks like next year. We've been running for about six years now, um, and we're keep growing and growing and growing and bringing more people on our team. Um, and it's very very exciting, but it also means there are a lot of a lot of ways that God could use us. Um, and also just prayers for the students as they're they're running through exams and they're running through really hard tests and cello practice and football practice and all of these things. Um, and they're also being called to go out and live boldly in their faith. And you're now getting to direct that March break mission you told us about before, right? So that's coming up Mm -hmm. in a few weeks. And your role is to kind of help co-direct to lead that time together. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a beautiful full picture of um, in this mission that helps me to discern my calling and where I was headed in my life. I get to kind of direct people, plan these things, and um, help them discern their calling. Mm -hmm. Well, we are excited for you, Jill, and we're so excited to hear more of what God has. So we'd love to pray for you. God, we are grateful for the evidence and clear picture of your work um, and the way that you have spoken and led Jill. God, we know that in the midst of it, it is not always that clear. And so I thank you for the ways that you um, spoke through uh, and got through to her through confusion, through fears, um, through doubts, through all kinds of things. I thank you for uh, the incredible uh, provision that you've offered to her, and we just kind of bear witness to the ways you provided for her um, financially and with community and with places to live. And we thank you for that um, and for that sign of uh, your faithfulness with her. And God, we pray your blessing on her. Pray that you would um, give her incredible amounts of wisdom as she seeks and considers who to spend time with and where to spend time, which schools to connect with, which students to connect with. And God, we pray and long to see more fruit. We long to see more students um, know you and to receive the fullness of life that you have for them. Um, And we long to see students changed. And we also uh, hope and anticipate seeing more joy uh, for and in Jill as well as she gets to to partner with you in this good work. So we pray your blessing on her. And we thank you so much for her and for this work. In your name, amen. Thank you, Allison, and thank you especially, Jill. Um, So great to hear your story of how God's been calling you and... and, uh, um, I hope that you are really enjoying the testimonies we've had this month so far. I know I am. It's funny how you, it's funny how much you don't know about people and you see them and it's so encouraging to realize the way God is working in people's lives and uh, God calls us. He continues to call us. He calls all of us, but um, there are particular callings, and that's really exciting, Jill, to hear about yours. And uh, even though you've graduated now from U of G and you're living in Toronto, we'll pray for you especially about that part of it. Um, we uh, are going to have an ongoing relationship with you in a particular way because we are starting in 2019. You're going to be one of our mission partners. And so we're really excited to be able to support you financially through the church's mission budget and also to pray for you uh, in your ministry in Toronto. So um, that's something I feel like we should clap or something for that. Hey, yeah. And that, of course, means you have to come back to Guelph once in a while and uh, and experience the paradise of Guelph, I say, as a Toronto boy. Yeah, you'll be craving it, I'm sure. We're going to turn in our Bibles or look on the screen at a reading from the book of Jonah. Uh, this is our second week in our new sermon series in the book of Jonah. We started last week just the first three verses, got us off to uh, a beginning where we kind of considered who Jonah is and the city of Nineveh and his call. Um, today we're going to dive in a little further. Uh, But first, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray in a way that's a bit different. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, and we're going to pray responsively. Uh, This is a prayer for God to help us understand his word and to receive his word. And I'm going to pray the opening part, and the bold part is for all of us to pray. Our Father in heaven, we believe that you speak the greatest truth and grace to us through your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to dispel our confusion and to light up our path this morning with your practical wisdom. Lord Jesus, awaken our souls today and move us in your presence. 
We praise you that you have the words of eternal life. They only come from you. And we praise you for the resurrection hope that they give us. You can sit down. We're going to read the whole of Jonah chapter 1, except for the last verse. So Jonah 1, 1 to 16. How are you doing at finding Jonah in your Bibles, those of you who, who work from the hard copy? It's, it's buried in there. It's worth searching for, though. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, for Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, those men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of the Lord. My kids have what you might call a healthy fear of the ocean, but it did not start out that way. When they were little, they enjoyed swimming in swimming pools, and they went to camp, so they had the experience of swimming in a lake. And eventually we went on a beach vacation, and they experienced the ocean for the first time. And I still remember Lily's, the look on Lily's face when we came over the hill and saw the ocean, and, and she said, it's so big it never ends. They were delighted with the beach and the opportunity to swim and build sandcastles, all that good stuff. I remember the first morning we were out by the water and we later realized that there was a system. They would put up flags to warn you if the water was a problem that day and you should be careful, but we weren't aware of that. On our first morning, we were out there pretty early. It was kind of like Christmas. The kids wanted to get up and get down to the water. And Judith and I stood by the water's edge, and we watched as two of our kids ventured out into the ocean, and they took a few steps in and then more, and they wanted to go farther. And 
As they got deeper, the waves got bigger. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, came a bigger than usual wave, a wave like we hadn't seen yet. And I still remember how they vanished under the water. And that's not a good feeling when you're a parent. <laughs> and this wave, even though like they weren't out, you know, don't judge me, right? They weren't, they, 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 they weren't out that far. They, they were, we could see them, their upper body. <laughs> and, but this wave came and it, it literally knocked them over. And it obviously turned them upside down a few times. And when they emerged from the wave, I, I still can see Callum. He had all these pebbles and sand in his hair. And the look of shock the look of dismay on his face. All of a sudden, this ocean that had been their friend revealed itself to them in all its power. And they learned their first lesson that the ocean is to be feared even as it is to be enjoyed. And they stayed a lot closer to us after that, I have to say. And and then a little while later, we saw the flag go up a flag that, if we'd known to wait for it or to look for it, would have indicated that it was a day when you had to be careful out in the water. Now, the ocean is formidable on its own, but there's nothing quite like the ocean in a storm. Some of you may have experienced that personally. In our passage from Jonah this morning, Jonah and these sailors on this ship have a direct experience of the power of the ocean and a storm. Jonah would not go into a great city, so God sends him into a great storm. And we can, say, we can see that all of these sailors, they, they were not believers in the God of Israel, and, and they, they were uh, sailors who had clearly a lot of experience navigating the Mediterranean Sea, and yet they're terrified. So from that, we can figure out that there was something unusual about this storm, how quickly it came up. There was something supernatural about this storm that they recognized. And so quickly they throw their cargo overboard to lighten the load to try to help. And we see also that Jonah had gone down into the lower deck of the ship in order to sleep. Now, how ironic is that? Here we have the prophet of God who has been sent by God with a message from God. And he's in the bottom of the ship while up on the top deck, all of these people who don't know God are talking about divine intervention. It seems like the place he might have wanted to be. There's a play on words here in the passage First of all, it talks about Jonah going down to Joppa, where he catches this ship to run away from God. And then it talks about him going down to the lower deck of the ship. And then again, it says he lay down and went into a sleep, a deep sleep. And that downward progression, I think, gives us a picture of how our rebellion against God, our unwillingness to turn to God, to listen to God, to acknowledge God, leads us in a direction that takes us down and takes us out. That's what sin does in our lives. And as we consider the place that Jonah's in, I think it's worth asking ourselves too, are we, are, are we awake? Are we alert to God's presence? Are we at this point in our lives conscious of God's activity? And that's not just a question that affects us individually. When we are turned away from God, when we are even perhaps running from God, it affects others in our lives as well. We never sin in private. It's not isolated. We might try to think of it and rationalize it that way, that it's not going to hurt anyone else, it's not going to affect anyone else. For some of you, your family and your friends are suffering right now because you are drifting away from God. You perhaps have turned away from him because you are asleep 
as it were. You've shut yourself off from God's word. And maybe you've convinced yourself that you don't need to walk with him, to talk with him on a daily basis, the way he invites us always to do. The greatest gift that I can give everyone who knows me, that I can give to Judith, my wife, to our kids, to my co-workers here at the church, my neighbors, is to be close to God. That is the greatest gift I can give to other people. Of course, I do that for my own sake, and I do it most of all for God's sake. But it's also for the people around me. When I'm awake and when I'm alive to God, the Holy Spirit begins to shape me with his truth and with his love so that I can love others. It's as if the blood starts to flow. It's as if the harmony returns. And and this is something that I struggle with, too. I've shared a bit about that over the last couple of weeks, about a New Year's resolution to develop a new habit in listening to God through reading his word, that I have for a couple of years been doing that on the computer and realized that that leaves me distracted, that leaves me all over the map, and have returned this year to uh, an actual paper devotional, a hard copy, and using, you know those old Bibles that they used to put on paper? One of those as well, instead of just seeing it on a screen. Think of it like this. You know the drill on an airplane? Maybe some of you have taken a flight recently. When they explain to you how the oxygen masks work, I think we're not always listening at that point, but at some point, I trust you did. It always strikes me as strange that the first, one of the first things they tell you is you put the oxygen mask on yourself. That's a priority. Because if you're with a loved one or you're with maybe your child, you want to care for them. If you're, if they're in danger, you're going to think of them first. But the reality is that I have to be breathing in order to help anyone. And the same thing holds for us spiritually. If you're spiritually unconscious, people around you are not going to make it because you're not moving towards God. He wants to use us in the lives of the people around us. And it has eternal consequences too. But when we find that we are not breathing in God's grace, when we are not moving to the rhythm of his calling, we struggle to be generous. We struggle to extend grace to forgive others. We turn in on ourselves. We find ourselves more self-centered, angry. All of these things come as we close ourselves off from him. But he always invites us back. God is gracious and he sends storms to get our attention. And if you're not in a storm right now, I can assure you one is coming. This is the story of our lives, isn't it? God uses the adversity we face to wake us up, to renew our liveliness in relationship to him. Now, one of two things will always humble us coming from God. One is his word. The other is the affliction we have to contend with. God's word should humble us, but... A lot of us are pretty hard-hearted, like Jonah, and we're not always good listeners when it comes to what God wants to say to us. As a result, God sometimes sends a storm. Now, I'm not talking about all storms or afflictions in our lives, and hear this carefully, please. Sometimes we suffer, and it has nothing to do with our disobedience. We live in a fallen world, and we are a fallen people. But there are times when we knowingly disobey God, go contrary to his will. And he loves us enough to send a storm. Now, you might be asking yourself, how do I know? Maybe I've done something I'm not aware of and God is punishing me. And 
I have had conversations like that with some of you when we sit down for coffee and you're dealing with a sense of God having abandoned you, that you are struggling with some particular situation in your life. You're suffering through it and you wonder if God is punishing you. When God sends storms into our lives, he makes sure that we know. If I'm trying to get my, my kids' attention, if I'm disciplining them, I don't hide it. I don't punish them and, and say, well, it's a big mystery. You have to figure out why I punished you. Let's see what you come up with. This could be interesting. That's not how it works, right? We, if we love someone, we communicate them to them why a consequence has taken place. So if you're in something right now that you suspect might be a storm from God, ask him and he will make it clear. The only way you're you're going to survive the storms of your life is by submitting to God through them. If Jonah had continued to fight that storm, it would have killed him and it would have killed everybody on board that ship with him. But when he submits to the storm, when he says, throw me into it, it leads to his salvation. If you fight the storm, it will destroy you. If you submit to it, it will save you. What does this mean practically? Well, it means repentance. That's not a word we always rush into. But we as Christians believe in the repentance that leads leads to life, not in the repentance that is full of guilt. Jonah was running away in one direction, and at this point in the story, he does an about-face. He turns back to God, and it makes new life possible. The good news is that God uses all the storms we go through for his purposes. He will bring good out of every one of them. I think about two weeks ago, Robin Fletcher shared her story of losing her hearing, of going deaf, and just how hard that has been for her and her family. And one of the amazing things about the story she told, and, and the whole thing was, was remarkable, was that she's now doing a job with the Upper Grand District School Board that allows her to care for and come alongside students who also have hearing disabilities. And so God gave her this challenge. God sent this storm into her life, partly in order to set her up to be able to love others and serve them. God doesn't do things randomly. God wants the best for us and invites us to trust him. The sailors on that ship are quite a case study, aren't they? They're so obviously good men. Look at how they try to row ashore in spite of Jonah insisting that they throw him overboard. They pray to God even though they don't yet know God. They do what they can to help Jonah. Where do you have people in your life like that? Who is in the boat with you right now? Both fellow Christians and those who are not believers. Who is affected by how close you are to God or by how far away from him you are? I want us to stop at this point and to consider who those people are. I believe that the Holy Spirit arranges to bring people into our path. Uh, Mark and Peyton and I were talking about this between the services. Peyton's playing guitar today. And we had these two seemingly random encounters around town. And the first time it came up that Peyton plays guitar and... and, um, I think I, I maybe at that point raised perhaps music on a Sunday, being part of a musical team at Courtright. Uh, and then, but I didn't get your email address. And, and, and then, of course, two weeks later, I think more or less, I ran into you at uh, John F. Ross. It was grade nine orientation. And, and then I got the email address. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty thick skulled and slow on the uptake. But I'm like, okay, something is happening. And I'm not going to miss this opportunity a second time to actually 
get some contact information and and it's been great to see you in the band a couple of times now so god brings people into our life and has these we have these encounters with with them sometimes in the grocery store sometimes in ways that are very much in passing, maybe shoveling snow. Like, I really think that God, if you are a person who shovels snow, raise your hand if you shovel snow. Like, Canadians are pretty much indoors all winter, and yet when the snow falls, which it hasn't done much this year, we can encounter our neighbors. So maybe there's a little challenge in that for you, that when you're shoveling snow, maybe today as well, um, Talk to your neighbor. See what comes of that. But let's take a moment of silence now. And I want to ask you to think of someone in your life right now whom you could engage in a way that we see in this passage, these sailors asking Jonah these great questions. Or that you could listen to someone who is asking you questions in your life. A person who you feel God's drawing you to And it's likely to be one person, not a whole group of people. Or if there's no such person, then ask the Holy Spirit to bring that person to you and to show you who it is. So let's let's take a moment of silence and do that. Dear God, we thank you that you are God who wants to reach out to those who are alone, to those who are struggling, and uh, that's, that's us. We are those people. We, we ask that we would be open to your encouragement, that we would answer the questions that people put to us, that we would accept help, that we would ask for help when we need it. And we also ask that you would use us to be a blessing to others, that you would move us. We're pretty slow. We're pretty comfortable. Sometimes we need you to stir up our life, make us bold in that way with others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book, the book of Jonah is, is amazing, partly because there are these two sections of it. Chapters 1 and 2, Jonah runs away from God, and then the part we read today, the storm comes, and then he's in the belly of the whale. And then the second part starts in chapter 3 where it says, the word of God came to Jonah again. In each section, Jonah encounters people who are different from him. Different from him in terms of their race, in terms of their religion, and he's not happy about it. Eventually it's Nineveh, but here it is the people on this ship. God cares how we as believers relate to those who are different from us. He's not just sending us to do evangelism, to deliver tracts, to come up with a new program in the church. He wants us to genuinely respect and to love people of other races and other faiths. You notice how Jonah replies when the sailors ask him about what his job is, where he's from, who his people are, he says, I am a Hebrew. The first thing he says, he names his nationality and his race. And secondly, he thinks of God. Jonah ran away from God's mission, only to find himself on that mission, on this boat. It's amazing the contrast between Jonah and these sailors. We have so much to learn from people who maybe we don't look to often. Jonah avoids the danger. The sailors are alert to it. Jonah's completely self-absorbed. The sailors work for the common good of everyone on board. They pray. Jonah, this prophet of God, does not pray. They call on Jonah's God. 
Jonah doesn't even do that at first. They're more open to God than he is. The sailors are determined to figure out what's going on here. They suspect that God is dealing with someone on their ship, and they draw lots, which is a a common way to seek divine guidance in that time. And when the lot falls to Jonah, they don't throw him overboard right away. I would have. I would have just immediately grabbed him and tossed him. I don't know about you. But these sailors are fair, and they listen to him. They respect him and his God. I love the way the captain of the ship rebukes Jonah. How can you sleep, he says. Can't you see we're all going to die? Don't you care? You have faith. Why are you not using your faith for the common good? These sailors aren't Christians, but they're in the same boat as Jonah. Jonah is not living out his faith. He's not telling them how they can have a relationship with the God of the universe. He's not even loving and serving them in small practical ways. His private faith is no public good here. Are we like that? Do we keep our faith to ourselves? Are we tempted to compartmentalize our faith? It's just a Sunday morning thing, but not so much at work or at home. We talk about mission a lot, but how do we live it out as the church? Some of us, a group of about a dozen of us from Courtright are doing a course right now that the Presbytery of Waterloo Wellington is offering called the Missional Imagination. And we're learning some of the same lessons as I think Jonah is learning in this story. We're realizing that we think of ourselves as a welcoming church, but in fact, we're not always aware of the extent to which we insist on people behaving the way we want them to behave. We insist on them coming here. We insist on a whole bunch of things that we're not all that conscious of? How can we get out beyond ourselves? I mean, it's easier, it's more comfortable to be around people who are like us. But that is not what God calls us to. And so we have to change as the Holy Spirit leads us. And I'm convinced this is our Nineveh. How do we restructure and how do we reorient ourselves at Courtright so that we who have been blessed can be a blessing to others, so that we can be missional, For others. Are we listening to them? I was at a meeting of pastors a week ago, Guelph pastors, and someone asked the question, how many of you have talked to City Hall about how you can serve the city? Do we draw on the resources that are out there, or are we in a kind of an echo chamber here? What God wants most of all is for his people to have a heart like he does, a heart that's full of goodness and compassion. And as we spend time in Jonah, we're going to see that God leads him into a place of greater openness. Now, he doesn't come willingly. Like most of us, he's kicking and screaming. I believe God's going to lead us as a church and you individually into a new understanding of his mission for you this new year. How can we love Guelph the way God loves Guelph? How can we do justice? How can we love mercy? How can we walk humbly with him in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods? For most of us, God's call isn't going to be to a far-off place. It's not going to be to be a pastor, to be a missionary, to do campus ministry. Those things are good, but those are not what the people of God are called to. We're called to be, to do the work that God has established for us. Whether you're a teacher, a business person, a student, whatever it is, God is present there already. Will you join him? Will you see what he's doing? I love a friend of mine who worked for a consulting firm, was trying to figure out how he could share his faith in a small way with his co-workers. And he decided that he would help them 
to get better at their jobs. Rather than handing out tracts or doing a Bible study, he started to hold these lunch meetings where he helped them to become better at public speaking, better at organizing their work, better at envisioning their future in that company. All these practical skills brought people together and were a common ground to build relationships and to share hope and faith. Above all, what we need is a deep experience of God's grace through all of this. We're not going to be able to do it on our own. And we receive God's grace by listening to him in his word as it's preached on Sundays and as we read it daily in our homes, by receiving his presence in the sacraments and baptism in the Lord's Supper and through the community of his people and the encouragement that they offer us. Just like my kids needed Judith and me to be a lifeline to them when we were by the ocean that day, when they were turned over by that wave, we need a lifeline of small groups, of Christian fellowship. And just like we needed that flag to alert us to the danger of the ocean that day, we need God's word daily in our lives to keep in step with the Spirit. Some of you are in the same place as Jonah right now. There's a part of your life, there's, there's something in your life right now where you are saying no to God, where you have turned away from him. And some of you are experiencing a storm because of that. Why not think of this room this morning as the deck of a ship? Why not right now take the opportunity to turn back to God, to acknowledge the way that you've been running from him, to repent and to seek his renewal in your life. That storm in your life is not there to pay you back for something wrong that you've done. It's there to bring you back to God. Jesus was the one who was paid back for all of our sin. He went into the storm of God's justice for all of us. And that means that God's anger is no longer in the storm. It's only his love that comes to us in the storm. He intends for the storm to bring restoration. Instead of continuing to fight, why not get down on your knees this morning, right now, and surrender to God? Let's pray and ask him to make that possible. Dear God, we thank you that you never give up on us. You pursue us with that reckless love we sang about earlier. You love us so much that you sent your son You gave up everything for us. And yet, often we don't really trust you. Lord, take away all the guilt this morning. If there's been any guilt in this room, guilt at not having responded to your call at some point in our lives, guilt at the disobedience that plagues us, Guilt at not being close enough to you, not doing enough. Take it all away. You rush to forgive us. And what you long for is that we would be open to you and honest with you. That we would listen and return to you. In the silence now, we pray prayers of repentance and renewal.
Are you hurting and broken within? Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Jesus is waiting. Amen. Worship team, I wonder if we could sing that song at the end of the service. Could we change the plan? If you're visiting, this doesn't happen all the time. As the worship team gets set up, let's lift up our prayers of intercession to God. Lord, we thank you that you have given us opportunities to serve you. We thank you that you've called us into partnership with you in mission. And today we want to lift up prayers for the city of Guelph, for one another, for the world around us, in all the storms it faces. We praise you that you are a God who brings change into the world, who brings hope. We pray today for those who do not have a warm place to go to on this cold day. We pray for those who volunteer in the Life Center at Hope House, at Chalmers Community Services, and for those who will come to those places to receive food, to receive assistance. Lord, we pray for unity in the churches of Guelph, that we would work together to impart your hope. We pray for our Mayor, Cam Guthrie. We pray for City Council and staff. We pray for our Premier. We pray for our Prime Minister. Lord, we ask that those in government and authority would know you and your will for our country. We pray for those in our church who are struggling with sickness and we ask for healing. We pray for Nadir and his family, that they would know you. We pray for healing. We pray for those right now who are struggling with a broken relationship in their life. That is often the storm we face, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's with a family member, a child of ours, a parent. We pray that you would restore calm to those seas. We pray for reconciliation, Lord. You are Lord of the storm. There is no broken relationship that you cannot restore. Get us in line with what you're doing in our families, among our friendships, in our neighborhoods. Lord, we pray for those who are in Guelph as strangers, those who have come as refugees or as immigrants who are new here, we pray that we would be the church that opens its doors and goes beyond that. We pray for those who you put in our path who are different from us, that we would not turn away from them, whether they speak a different language or come from a different culture, but that today we have heard your call to reach out and to embrace those who are different from us. Lord, we pray today also for the Bartosi family as we look ahead to Saturday's memorial service for Pam. We pray for them in their grief. We pray that you would comfort them. Lord, we ask for your peace in our hearts and in our world. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here in Guelph and to the ends of the earth, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.